Welcome to the Element of Surprise. Uh, my name is Chadwick J. Suet. Uh, that was Mr. T. And this is the mentally irregular podcast known as the Element of Surprise. Um, before we get started, I just want to say to all my avid fans and listeners out there who've uh, stuck with me again during another month of absolutely jack shit nothing. Um, you know, I've just been... A, overtly tired for absolutely no fucking reason, and uh, B, just, you know, working on some new content, but I think I got some good stuff. First um, first thing I want to get to is, uh, you know, EOS correspondent Bill Signs, known as uh, Bill on the Streets, and uh, what he's been doing to help uh, promote and support the element of surprise in the past few months. And uh, I wasn't even aware of this until he posted this on the EOS group page because he doesn't fill me in. He's an EOS correspondent, but I just kind of gave him for, uh, like a very long leash. He just goes about things in his own way, and I, I'm fine with that because that's exactly the spirit of being mentally irregular. You just do things, and you know things happen because of it. But uh, so what he's been doing is he's been uh, taking photographs on his cell phone of just random goings on. Just random happenings and random things going on around him, and then emailing them to like local Pittsburgh news stations like WTAE, uh, uh, Channel Four, whatever you know, they're just the local stations, and telling them about this as if this is big news that they need to report on right away. And uh, you know, he's got the emails. He put some of them on the EOS group. I've uh, I, I sent him a few text messages after I seen it about this. Uh, letting him a know that I absolutely love his enthusiasm behind it because this is that's great. That's why I hired him, and uh, b to keep doing what he's doing because you know as he said the EOS Army will not be ignored. We will be heard. Um, that's you know I, I I just I love that he sent he put one up there about Rita's ice R- Rita's ice cream opened up down and uh, by where he lives, and there, the line was very long because it was a grand opening and it had. Uh, Free ice cream day, so so he took a picture of the long line and sent an email to uh, the local news stations saying that the line at Rita's Ice was very long. They should report on that, and also none of the teenage kids there would talk to him, which is hilarious. Just none of the teenage kids are talking to me. He's a thirty-some-year-old uh, man, and the teenage kids aren't talking to him. So 
<laughs> that that disappointed him at Rita's Ice. He went down there for free ice cream. It's a long line. He figured some of those hip teenagers would fill him in on, you know, the happenings of uh, life in 2019, what they're into, how they felt about being in a line that long at Rita's Ice. No one would talk to him. He got disappointed about it. He emailed that to the news. So, uh, you know, Bill, great work, buddy. Keep up the good work. That's exactly, exactly what the element of surprise is about. It's exactly the spirit. You've, you, you embody the very spirit of the element of surprise. And uh, I, first, I commend you and thank you for that. And secondly, just keep doing what you're doing because we, we will not be ignored. The U.S. Army will not be ignored. Um, next up, I, I, I've been having this conversation with Ash lately about um, if they ever made a movie about my life. Well, no. Okay, let me start over. We, we, we watched The Wicker Man, not the original Wicker Man, the, the Nicolas Cage remake, and it was all the uh, joyful insanity that we thought it would be. And, uh, you know, just Nicolas Cage, at, at some point, you know, here's, here's his entire career. He started being in movies when he was 18, he wins an Academy Award, he says he's going to retire from movies, and then he's made like six movies each year since, said, since saying he was going to retire. And the, um, the, the skill set that he brings to the table is just the pure, raw insanity of not giving a fuck. So he'll just take, like, any role. You know, I've seen him in movies where he's a wizard. I've seen him in movies where he hates wizards. I've seen him drive cars fast. I've seen him drive cars slow. I've seen him get hit by a car. I've seen him do everything. And he does it with all the wide-eyed, maniacal insanity of an escaped mental patient. And so we watched The Wicker Man, and after that, I've been discussing Nicolas Cage with Ash. And um, so I decided that if they ever make a movie about my life, I want Nicolas Cage to star in it. And I've already, I already picked out who he's got to play. And he's going to play this cat, my, my cat, Reek. That's Nicolas Cage's character for the story of my life. And I, first off, I know he'll take the role because he's taken worse roles than that. Secondly, I don't want him to be voicing a CGI cat. I want it to just be Nicolas Cage with, like, cat ears on, walking around doing the stuff that my cat would do. Just walking around being Reek, you know? And, like, the other cat can be an actual Persian cat, you know? The, whatever cat they get to play Barnabas could be, Barnab like, a cat. And I just want Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage with cat ears on and, like, painted on whiskers on his face interacting with that cat and he'll, he'll have full speaking roles even though the cat has this cat has never spoken he'll have full speaking roles and everything like that he'll have a whole goddamn monologue in it because that's that's exactly a what Nicolas Cage would do and b how I want to see it that's how I would like to view the the story of my life is with Nicolas Cage playing this cat you know he could talk about how he uh how he's a savvy investor you know and um which actually led me I asked Ash this uh when was it, Ash? Yesterday morning or this morning about Nicolas Cage investment opportunities, him versus the uh, the other thing? That was yesterday, right? Okay, so I asked her yesterday literally this question. Oh, no, we were folding laundry. I, we were folding the laundry, and I asked her, I said, so, real question. Who do you think would make better investment choices? Nicolas Cage or an actual, living, honest-to-God, motherfucking velociraptor? And she said the velociraptor and i i had to agree with her because you know here's what's going to happen the velociraptor it's going to kill you with its toe claw it's probably going to ignore your money and it's going to run off into the woods 
and, you know, be free and do the same to anybody else who crosses it. Nicolas Cage, on the other hand, he's just going to buy everything he sees. He's going to talk about 401ks to, like, a group of fucking, like, school children. But it's not going to be, like, telling them anything about it. He's just going to be ranting about 401ks. He's going to yell at some, like, single unwed un unwed teenage mother about, like, you know, how it feels like he's burning up inside. And then he's going to go onto Wall Street, and he's probably just going to, like, wander around there. So, honest to God, the Raptor makes more sense because it's not wasting your money. Nicolas Cage would waste your money on stuff and just, you know, insane, crazy nonsense. So, yeah, I agree with Hertz. The Velociraptor would make better investment choices. Um, okay. I've also been thinking a lot lately about sports. You know, I mean, I'm a, I, li I like hockey. I've got to be uh, straight with you guys. I haven't actually watched any hockey in a, in a while. I just, I just don't feel the same getting into it. So I've seen that before, you know. I've seen this whole thing played out. You know, football is the same way, and basketball is just the worst. And baseball is even worse than basketball, so I don't know how that exists. But uh, I've been thinking of ways to improve upon the sports, so not only will I enjoy them, but anybody can enjoy them. You know, just how can anybody, your, your average person who's not really a sports fan, sit down and watch something as... Uh, mundane and um, mind-numbing as a baseball game and get entertainment out of it. How can somebody who's not really a big, uh, you know, jock enjoy a football game uh, where a bunch of guys whose outfits literally consist of tights uh, run around chasing a ball that looks suspiciously like a nut? You know, how can, that, how can your average guy, average person enjoy that, enjoy that game? Well, I've come up with some ideas. First off, basketball... You just wipe that right out. You just take that right off the right out of the right 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 off the uh, fucking table to begin with, and instead you have a bunch of athletes uh, running back and forth with a cinder block, and you got to throw the cinder block up through there. And the point of this is that you can't dribble a cinder block. You know, you can't. You got to pass the cinder block too. I mean, that's going to be difficult. But I think anybody would watch that. I would watch that. I would sit there and watch with glee as people toss cinder blocks back and forth to each other and try to score goals or make points or whatever the fuck basketball calls it with a, uh, with a cinder block. Much more entertaining. That's, so, you know, the basketball, that, that's just got to go. Uh, baseball. Baseball is easy. Baseball is easy. The baseball itself, you replace that with a hand grenade. You just replace that with a, with a live, active hand grenade. And, you know, it's like... You know, the point is, is, you know, what you see in baseball is they hit the ball, goes out there, people with gloves pick it up, and they throw it as quickly as they can. And that's pretty much the same game because you're not going to want to hold on to that hand grenade. The, the, the real joy comes from wh whoever has it when it goes off, you know? Just, you know, I mean, granted, that's tantamount to murder, but uh, still, it'd be a fun game to fucking watch. You know, maybe it doesn't need to be a, a live hand grenade. Maybe it could be like a, like a paint grenade. Like, you know those... Um, Things they stuff in money for uh, to mark the cash and have the paint explode if you if you're a robber you see in TV and movies and stuff like that maybe something like that like a paint packet and you know you you'd play the game with that and whoever has the paint packet whenever it blows up and gets paint all over them they're out and then you just keep repeating this until there's one person left and that person's team wins it's not about the amount of runs or uh, home runs or, you know, outs or anything like that. It's just whoever is the last person standing that hasn't gotten the exploded by the paint packet is the winner. Um, or if you'd play it with the live hand grenade, the per last person alive, you know, that's 
how that that's how that's played. Uh, personally, I think the hand grenade would be a lot more fun than the paint packet, but uh, you know that's just because I'm I'm fucked up and I think that that putting the fear of death in the players should uh, would would improve their um, their overall performance. It would. It would just make the performance at the game much better. You know, just to like, oh, I don't want to get this paint on me. I'm half-assing it. Versus live hand grenade of, holy shit, this is a fucking hand grenade. I'm going to die. You know, get that out of there. That's make a much more entertaining game. Um, hockey, you can't really improve on hockey too much. But I, I, I thought of ways of doing it. And that's um, the players' sticks have to be made out of steel and sharpened to points. The puck needs to have a small explosive device in it. And the, uh, you know, the, the boards on the outside where they get slammed into? Razor wire. Just line that with razor wire, and you've improved that game. Um, God, every single one of these makes it sound like I'm a psychopath. I'm just, oh, uh, throw cinder blocks at them. Uh, hit them with a fucking have a baseball game with a live grenade. Razor wire around the hockey rink. Uh, Jesus Christ. Well, but football... Football is easy to improve upon, and actually, I gotta give—I can't take full credit for this one. I gotta give credit to uh, my old friend Dane Seville for this one because it was he and I who uh, created this one. Is what you do with football? You know how there's the—they say at the end of the game there's the two-minute warning, or at the end of each uh, period or quarter or whatever the fuck they're called, there's a two-minute warning. Well, at each two-minute warning, you unleash a genetically engineered goblin creature whose only goal is destroy whatever's put in front of it and get the ball. So it's not working for one team or the other. And that, you know, once the two-minute warning comes out, they unleash uh, at least one of them. I, I, I think it would be fair to have, say three, three goblins. And, you, you know, they, they, there should be a, a, like an air horn that blares like, you know, two-minute, two-minute goblin! And then all the panic, all the, all the players frantically panic. To try to, uh, you know, A, avoid the goblins, retain the ball, and still play the game while this is going on. So, two-minute goblin is my theory for improving football. I think it's the best way to go about it. Um, you know, I, I, I know that we can genetically engineer shit. We made a sheep out of a fucking previous sheep. So, um, you know, we can clone things. I don't think it would be that hard to just make these goblin beasts. You know, just a little bit of lion... Uh, DNA mixed with like some gazelle, mixed with like a lot of fucking human and some ostrich, and uh, something with big claws on the hands. So uh, you know, basically um, turn them into like the fucking liquors from the Resident Evil series, and uh, you know just unleash them. Don't feed them for a week, and then each game you just unleash them on the field, and their their goal they're, they're like genetically programmed to a destroy whatever's in front of them, and B, get the ball. Now, granted, you'd have to reinforce the stands where everybody, where the spectators sit, because, you know, then, then it would just be a whole lawsuit. But the players, they signed up for this. You know, we're paying them, like, $14 million a game and shit like that. I think, I think it's okay for us to unleash a genetically engineered goblin on them who, you know, I, I think that would be okay. So, two-minute goblin is how you improve football. Hands down, there's no way, there's no counterpoint to that. Anybody out there, I dare you to find one. You tell me how, how Two-Minute Goblin doesn't improve the game. And I'll, I'll tell you why you're wrong. Alright, moving on. Oh yeah, Robocop. Robocop is uh, Colonel Sanders now. It's the best thing ever, hold on. Robocop is Colonel Sanders, and uh, that is, the, the, hands down, literally the best thing that's ever happened in the history of time. Uh, just because it's a Robocop. 
And it's it, they didn't even try to make him look like Colonel Sanders. They just put a wig on top of his mask and a pair of glasses on top of his helmet. He's just RoboCop as Colonel Sanders. I mean, this is the same RoboCop that was in that movie where he was turned into a RoboCop. This is the same RoboCop that showed up at a WCW pay-per-view event because he's fucking RoboCop. You know, RoboCop's the fucking best. So, here we go. Here we go. Colonel Sanders, your Kentucky Fried Chicken is delicious. What's the secret recipe? If I told you, I'd have to kill you. Okay, so you all saw, you all listened to what that was. That was RoboCop now as Colonel Sanders. And tell me how that's not the greatest fucking thing that's ever happened in the history of human beings. I mean, inventing the wheel, creating fire, uh, fucking, you know, catching up with the Kardashians. None of them compare. Uh, none of them compare to RoboCop as fucking um, KFC's Colonel Sanders. Like, you know, and I was confused at first. I'm like, is it RoboCop, the actual RoboCop, dressed up as Colonel Sanders, or did they just exhume the corpse of Harlan Sanders and use the same technology that they used on Peter Weller to turn him into a RoboCop? But no, it's the original RoboCop, and they just fucking pulled him out of mothballs, reprogrammed him to think he's fucking Colonel Sanders, but still with all his main prime directives, and fucking, uh, you know, he's just, uh, he's just utterly insane. It's fantastic. It's uh, everything I've ever dreamt about. And I, you know the day I found this out? I'm not going to lie. I found this out on my fucking birthday this year. I woke up. It was my birthday. I'm laying around. You know, I just pop on the internet, see what's going on. And first thing I see is RoboCop is Colonel Sanders now. And I'm like, oh my fucking God. Happy birthday to me. So, yeah, that was my birthday gift. It's, uh, it's fantastic. I... I they can't top that. I think that they should just retire that now. Like, just KFCs in, in general, you know. Just run this ad for, run RoboCop as Colonel Sanders for, like, the next, like, five years. And then uh, just shut down all KFCs. And, that, you know, as insane as uh, you're probably thinking RoboCop as Colonel Sanders is, by the way, I guarantee you that's not as insane as the real Colonel Harlan Sanders. Because um, let, me, let me give you a brief sum up of that guy's life. Okay, he's... Uh, he, he basically dropped out of school to take care of his family working on the farm, then gave that up just out of nowhere. He just left to get a series of jobs, including being a carnival, carnival barker. And then uh, he just quit them all after a short amount of time because he said, nope, not for me, and developed his secret recipe while he was actually working at a gas station. Uh, the gas station, his boss at the gas station liked it so much, said, hey, you can sell this on your own on the side and make some money from it. Which was, I guess, normal back in those days. Um, so the literally the true story: the guy next door that the gas station down the street was selling his own chicken 
found out people were liking uh, the colonel's chicken better than his. So, engaged in a fucking shootout. A real shootout. He put a gun and just started shooting at people at the colonel's fucking uh, gas station he worked at. So, what would any rational person do? Uh, they would hide and call the fucking police. What did Colonel Sanders do? He pulled out a gun and started shooting back. And he killed the guy. And they he got no, they arrested him and they got no, no time or anything for it. It was deemed self-defense. And he just went right back to selling his chicken. He quit the gas station later that year, uh, but took the chicken recipe with him and to all sorts of different jobs till eventually it was sold to um, the company that would eventually become KFC. And they put him on the board of directors and everything like that. And then he quit that too because he, just, he couldn't just keep a job. He just quit everything he ever did, including quitting, sell it, quitting his own fucking chicken recipe, chicken company that he basically, you know, created he quit that too and then he tried suing them for no goddamn reason because he was fucking insane so if you think that robocop as colonel sanders is a too too going too far look into the life of of the real colonel sanders and you'll see that oh no that's just regular that's par for the course that's fucking wednesday is what that is so you know robocop as colonel sanders is the greatest thing that has ever happened in human history it outdoes the invention of the wheel the creation of fire uh sliced bread, or any episode of Dog the Bounty Hunter. Um, okay, yeah. So, another thing. They are making a live-action Dora the Explorer movie. Let me say that again. They're making a live-action Dora the Explorer movie, which is a sequel to her actual Nickelodeon kids show because now she's going to high school. And uh, let me tell you a little bit about the cast. First off, well, first off, the movie's being produced by Michael Bay. So I'm expecting, well, I'll, I'll get into that. Okay, here's the plot of the movie. Michael, Michael Bay produces Dora the Explorer the movie. We open Dora, high school, car chase, explosions, fire, random plot, Jungles, airplanes, marines, another car chase, more explosions, Diego, he explodes, Boots, Boots explodes, Swiper comes in, robot fight, Swiper turns into an explosion, then he turns into a robot, Dora saves the day, the end. That's, that's the plot of every Michael Bay movie, and thereby that would be the plot of this one since Michael Bay is producing it. It's also being written and directed by the guys that wrote and directed, uh... Saving Sarah Marshall and fucking uh, the the neighbors and neighbors two uh, sorority rising. Um, I I don't know this this combination doesn't yell Dora the Explorer to me. I'm I'm wondering who this movie is being made for. I don't know who this movie's for. It's confusing. It's scary. Even more scary is the fact that they've cast us. Uh, so in Dora the Explorer, there was a villain known as uh, Swiper. He, Swiper was a fox, and he would come up and basically steal the items that Dora had collected in every episode, and then uh, she could stop him from doing it, and then he would just throw them away because he's a goddamn maniac. He has, you know, he, he, he just tosses them away. He doesn't want them for himself. He just wants her not to have them. You know, because some guys, some people don't have any common sense. Some people just want to watch the world burn. Some people can't be reasoned with. They're just... Like a dog chasing cars. They wouldn't know what to do with one if they actually caught it. Um, 
You know, it, they, they've got no plans. Now, Dora, Dora has plans. Her and her little schemers. Um, but, you know, so, anyway, Swiper the Fox, he's got, he can be shamed into not doing this by if Dora tells him, says, Swiper, no swiping, he goes, oh, dang, and he's shamed into retreating for the time being. Um, so, who should we cast as Swiper the Fox in this movie? Who should we cast? Should we cast someone that's uh, child-friendly and has done some voice acting roles before? Uh, somebody that, you know, maybe kids would know and it could enjoy the Swiper character since they kind of grew up with Dora anyway? No, let's cast fucking Benicio Del Toro. Yeah, let's cast the guy that played Dr. Gonzo in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Let's cast the guy that always looks like he's seconds away from discovering exactly how he wants to skin you while you're sleeping. Let's cast that guy. And, uh, so yeah, Benicio Del Toro, not really known for being child-friendly, but they cast him as Swiper the Fox, and, uh, so, you know, that's that. I guess to counteract that level of crazy, though, Dora's partner and sidekick, Boots the Monkey, has been, uh, cast, he's gonna be, uh, played and voiced by Danny fucking Trejo. Yeah, Machete. The guy who's most known for large chest tattoos, Mexican movies, knife-throwing, machete-throwing, cutting, killing, and fucking. That guy. He's going to be Boots the Monkey in uh, the Dora the Explorer movie. Or, which should actually, since I said Michael Bay is producing it, and it's going to be filled with explosions, it should be called Dora the Explosion. But uh, I'm wondering who's going to play her other sentient characters. Like Backpack? We should just get James Woods to voice Backpack. Fuck it. Just cast James Woods as backpack um i think the map talked at some point too so let's get uh, nicholas cage in there to play map this world this sounds like it's perfect for him um you know uh it's it's, it's gonna be insanity it's gonna be utter insanity i'm sure at one point in time uh in the film since it's michael bay uh diego is gonna sacrifice himself uh to save dora's life after uh professing his undying love even though i think they're cousins i'm not sure um which will unleash Dora's uh, full robot mode, and then uh, Boots the monkey will go fucking absolutely apeshit on Swiper, ripping his head off like uh, Optimus Prime did to Megatron. So that's the movie I'm expecting. I honestly, I have to see this. I have to see this just like I have to see the Sonic the Hedgehog uh, movie that they're making, the one that I previously talked about that looks just like the Thing of Nightmares. I've got to see both of these now, because 2019 is giving me two, two choices that may be the modern-day Super Mario Brothers movie. That's what, we're, that's what they're giving me. And so I've got to see it. I've got to find out which one's worse. Um, you know, is it going to be Michael Bay's Dora the Explorer? Or is it going to be a anthropomorphic, blue, realistic-looking hedgehog running around with a bunch of human beings in San Francisco rather than a Sonic the Hedgehog running around on the planet Mobius fighting off uh, robots and trying to collect rings? I don't know. Uh, but what, it's going to be awesome. It's just going to be, uh, like... It's going to be the best. 2019 is the best so far. Um, but it still doesn't take the cake. It still doesn't take the cake. And here's why. Because um, Mr. T, you, you all heard that I opened it up, opened this episode with Mr. T. Um, when Grimace was on back in November, we talked about the character of Clubber Lang. And then I've been watching the Rocky movies lately. And uh, I have to agree with him. You know, I've watched Rocky Three a bunch now, and I have to agree, Clubber Lang was probably the best villain uh, out of all the Rocky series because he just—he was the the first like 
I'm bad for the sake of being bad and I don't give a shit character, you know? Like, he didn't give a fuck that he, that Mickey, that he inadvertently killed Mickey. He was ready to knock out Apollo Creed. He, you know, he, he didn't give a shit. He just thought he was, you know, the toughest guy in the world. And, in a sense, he was. Because he was fucking Mr. T. So, you know, I, I started looking into Mr. T. And I discovered that in 1984, Mr. T made a movie. A movie that was made for TV and literally just capitalized on his success from playing Clever Lang. And I'm going to tell you about that movie right now. You see, in the 80s, Mr. T was at his most ridiculously awesome. You know, just after making it big by playing uh, the possibly the most dangerous fictional character ever, as I just said, Clubber Lang. And, uh, you know, by portraying Clubber Lang, I mean being himself and just answering to the name of Clubber Lang. Uh, Mr. T, he kind of reached his apex in a movie that I guarantee you nobody's ever seen because I hadn't. I, had to, I found it on YouTube and I watched the whole fucking thing. And the movie is called The Toughest Man in the World. And I'm sure that when the people of the future try to explain to their generations, to future generations, what the 1980s were like, this is going to be the film that they show to say, hey, if you want to know about the 1980s, watch this. And The Toughest Man in the World starring Mr. T will definitely be that movie that they show to explain what the 1980s was like. First of all, even though I saw this on YouTube, it still bothered to show you the cover of the VHS film. Uh, you know, which uh, is a joy that only YouTube can offer. Um, the cover of the film features Mr. T on it, obviously. And what is he doing? He's, he's pointing angrily. I'm sure filled to the brim with pity for fools. He's pointing angrily at, at whoever's holding it with, with pity for fools just boiling over. And the rest of the cover art is non-existent. It's Mr. T in front of a black background pointing angrily at the fools he pities, then his name, then the words, the toughest man in the world. It doesn't really tell you more than that. It's just that. I mean, this could easily have been a documentary about Mr. T, and the cover, wouldn't, the cover of the movie wouldn't tell you otherwise. It's just Mr. T pointing angrily at you and, uh, you know, pitying, pitying fools. So, you know, again, this was a direct-to-TV film, and for anyone listening who's under the age of 30, I got, I got a squee. I got a crack and egg knowledge over your head. Back in the 80s, kids watched TV. And uh, they did this for two reasons. In 1984, those reasons were Transformers, which could turn into tanks, and Mr. T, who didn't have to. He didn't have to turn into anything. So being a 1980s direct-to-TV film, there are two things you absolutely need. You absolutely need. First is an impossibly awesome name for your main character. And B, that character needs a career that doesn't exist anywhere outside of a 1980s movie. And uh, The Toughest Man in the World doesn't disappoint. It does not disappoint. Mr. T's character's name in this film is Bruce Brubaker. His first name is Bruce. His first name is Bruce. And apparently, if uh, it was the 80s and you were Mr. T, 
your character's first name could just be any word at random, so long as it was a tough word. You know, like uh, bruise, clubber, bicep, grip, brawn. Fucking the guy's real first name, he says his first name is, he's Mr. T, first name Mr., middle name, that period there, last name T. That's how he's introduced himself before. So, you know, Bruce Brewbreaker. And so what is Bruce's, uh, what is Bruce Brewbaker's career that only exists in the uh, universe of 1980s movies? He runs a community center, because of course he does. And is a bouncer by night, because of course he is. At, uh, from watching this, I had to determine, which I think is apparently the first world, the world's first religious strip club. Um, I don't know, that's what it seemed like that. Either that, or there was a, just a, like a runway place where they just love bedazzling and, uh, singing church hymns. But, um, so I've got to describe this movie to you. The, the film opens, the opening scene contains, is, is nothing, nothing short of pure, concentrated 80s madness. Uh, there's a street with white breakdancing people, uh, a ghetto blaster, and a concerned tough guy who's running a community center. That tough guy is Mr. T. And when we first find him, he's rapping. He's rapping about being tough. Now, when I say rapping, when I, when I say that Mr. T was rapping about being tough, I want to be clear. Most celebrity rap that has occurred, especially throughout the 80s and 90s, usually consists of a famous person rhyming and talking angrily. Uh, since Mr. T knows uh, no other way to talk besides angrily, it just comes off like he's rhyming. Um, but even so, the radiation given off by his 1980s awesomeness in that scene almost destroyed my computer screen. Um, just, it's absolute madness. Um, so what else does Mr. T do in this movie? Well, after he's done rapping, he spends his downtime cruising the railroad tracks looking for disadvantaged children uh, so that he can take them to the community center he runs and help them turn their lives around. Uh, personally, I believe that this isn't part of uh, the character in his film, but uh, just something that Mr. T does in real life because he's Mr. T. Um, anyway, this is where he finds the character of Dick, a pudgy white kid who looks like a, like a 1950s street urchin, kind of. Um, and the kid who played Dick, he's got all the acting ability in this film of a desk chair and uh, all the knife-fighting skills of a two-year-old. So Mr. T easily disarms him and then gives him a 1980s Mr. T pep talk, which straightens him out right away. Um... Because if you argue back with Mr. T, he will pity you, which in turn will make you a fool. So, you know, he gives him the pep talk. Dick straightens out. Uh, <laughs> I just said Dick straightens out. Whoa, Bevis, that's awesome. Uh, now, you may recognize the plot of this film. It's the most stereotypical plot of an 80s film that is humanly possible for... No discernible reason, Mr. T's youth program needs $20,000 to stay in business. Which seems a bit steep to me, since the only employee I noticed in the film was an unpaid Mr. T, and all he did was, you know, shout yeah at a mostly abandoned basketball court, from what I could tell. Um, also, I'm assuming that Bruce Brubaker had never found a problem that he couldn't solve by smashing. Because at one point, Mr. Tree, Mr. T, Mr. Tree, Jesus Christ, Mr. T tries to use physical strength to punch through layers of bureaucracy. Bureaucracy. That's a tough word. Um, and it gets him arrested. 
Uh, meanwhile, the kids he's looking out for, they make it to the basketball championships, and they don't even get to play because Mr. T's in jail for smashing the mayor's office up. Um, the filmmakers do decide to deliver the, uh, the predictable 80s, like, golden one-liner and uh, heartwarming messages kind of when it matters in the film. Like, uh, you know, for example, when that part I was talking about, Mr. T uh, decides to use physical strength to punch through layers of bureaucracy. He literally kicks down the door to a social services office, walks in and says, I'm sick of being social. It's time to get some service. So, you know, 80s gold right there. Um, again, most of the film is just Mr. T uh, spouting optimism at children and literally smashing every problem put in front of him. Uh, the big emotional reveal, however, is that uh, despite all of his smashing prowess, he's illiterate. Which also is the best explanation I can imagine for why Mr. T has a one-letter name. Why he's got a single-letter name. Um, but it also explains, it, uh, in the in-universe of the movie, why his youth center needs $20,000. Um, so there's a scene where he's trying to handle like the youth center's monthly accounts. And uh, from watching it, I'm positive that Mr. T was seconds away from screaming and headbutting an entire desk into uh, wooden fragments. But luckily, uh, Dick, who he met at the beginning of the movie shows up and uses his secret street smart super skill of high school math to save the day and balance the budget for the youth center. Um, now, the only thing this movie was lacking so far, up until this point in the movie, was some sort of stereotypical 1980s athletic competition. Um, well, luckily for us, the viewer, inevitably Mr. T enters the toughest man in the world competition, which is where the movie got his its name. I just thought, at first, while I was watching, I just thought that the movie, he was the toughest man in the world because, again, he just smashed through every problem like the Incredible Hulk, but no, it's actually a competition he has, he joins up with. He enters the w toughest man in the world competition, um, which in pure 80s style is nothing short of an insane combination of weightlifting, uh, a montage, a funhouse style obstacle course, and a boxing match against last year's winner of the toughest man in the world competition um who uh who likes to cheat and lie so needless to say he's a traditional 80s villain um now i do i want to say that the writers of this movie had to be familiar with mr t to some extent and because of that they realized they had to provide him a, an, a nemesis that would prove a real challenge for the guy that forced rocky balboa to team up with apollo creed so, they make Mr. T's challenge to overcome climbing a rope. Now, I want to be perfectly clear here. I'm not sure exactly what universe you're from. But in this one, telling Mr. T to be bad at physical exercise is like telling the Kardashians to stop being attention-seeking slutbags. It just isn't going to happen. It's not, it's not a real thing. Uh, Mr. T, he gives several tries at climbing a rope, and uh, his attempts at acting like he can't climb a rope are hilariously unbelievable. Um, especially since this movie came out a year after, um, or two years after Rocky Three, where we physically see Mr. T training as Clubber Lang by climbing a rope. Uh, basically, it's just him scowling harder than normal and making Mr. T sounds, which are just angry grunts. So, um, I will say the movie does have its perks, and Mr. T is actually funny in it. There's a, a, a scene where he visits Dick's home. And uh, without swearing, using slang, 
uh, without mentioning the concepts of money or sex or there being any nudity, he makes it perfectly clear that he believes Dick's mom is a whore. So, hilarious. Um, now, it was at this part in the movie that the 80s, the pure 80s radiation the film gives off uh, becomes so intense that, like most things in the 80s, it starts conjuring physical objects out of thin air. Um, so, at the end of the movie, there's a mafia warehouse. Um, because, of course, there is. And aside from having the stereotypical mobsters, henchmen, and thugs, and the previous toughest man in the world winner that Mr. T just uh, defeated in the, in the uh, spoiler alert, in the competition inside, it's uh, seemingly stocked owning only with dining room tables. Like those fold-out dining room tables. And these tables seem to have no other reason for being there than simply to have thugs and henchmen thrown through them. Um, also, several gangsters and the previous toughest man in the world are beaten up by a school bus full of disadvantaged children that Mr. T literally drives through the wall. The police are called, uh, and their response to all this is basically tantamount of, let me get this straight, you raided a mafia hideout with a school bus full of orphans? Great job. You've done this town a service. And Mr. T like basically acknowledges that and says, I know I have, because he's Mr. T. Um, now, as totally radical as that was, the real showdown in the film actually occurred 15 minutes earlier. And it was when Mr. T's in the obstacle course of the world's toughest man competition and comes face-to-face -face with a rope that he has to climb in order to make it over a wooden wall. Uh, the highlight of the scene is where he's surprised to see the wall, clearly shocked and having no memory of training for this exact situation several times throughout the film, and he jumps backwards. Uh, like the rope just pulled a knife on him. And uh, what happens next is the perfect apex of 1980s attitude. Mr. T suddenly remembers his special ability. That he is the only thing in the world made out of Mr. T. And so he bursts directly through the wall. And, uh, you know, that's just the greatest 80s lesson of all kids. No matter how stupid your skill, whether it's the crane kick or just smashing yourself into structures in order to burst through them, Use it in the second half of the movie, and you'll win every time. And believe in yourself. Because that's just, that's just how it goes. So that was, the, uh, that was the toughest man in the world. And uh, I think as a little treat, I'm going to give you some Mr. T motivational advice here. So we're going to do some Mr. T motivational advice. And uh, some life lessons with Mr. T. And then I think that'll uh, sum it up. is Mr. T. First name is Mr. Middle name is that period. Last name is T. Some people expect they free ride through life, cruising by on good looks and luck. Let me tell you something right now. It don't work that way. Hey, Mr. T here. Have you ever been accused of doing something you didn't do? Well, it happened to me in Mexico City, and I got thrown in jail for it. Listen, and listen good. I'm talking to you. When a new kid moves in on your block, what's your attitude? Do you figure, what do we need him for? Well, I pity the fool that makes that mistake. Now there are cars, and then there are classics. You know, it's easy to get lost in the desert. Now everybody listen up. We're gonna talk about strangers. You gotta learn how to deal with them. You gotta. Spike ran into a couple of bad strangers, and we almost never saw him again. Hey, fellas, I got some good news and bad news. The bad news, our star runner Jimmy won't be here for our track meet. He has to go to the dentist. 
So please don't brag. Only fools brag. Bragging just shows you can shoot off your big mouth. If you agree, people will know it. You don't have to tell them anything. Just like I don't have to tell you. Understand? You think all Indians are the same? All Latinos the same? All Chinese the same? Well, Indians aren't the same either. You wear glasses, Eddie. Put them on. Some people make fun of others for wearing glasses. Well, I pity the fools who do that. Because there's nothing wrong with wearing glasses. If you need them. But listen up now. This is serious. When you're tempted to do something wrong, even if the reasons are good, think twice. You catching my drift? Yeah. Control your weight. Don't let it control you. Eat smart, eat good, and you'll be smart and look good. If a stranger offered you a toy, some candy or a puppy, take off. Hey, we solved that hundred-year-old mystery. If you did, good. If not, well, try again next week. The bottom line is, we all have things that is very important to us that we don't want other people to touch. How would you feel if someone went through your stuff? Well, he was lucky this time, but don't you press your luck. If things start looking fuzzy and blurred, you get your eyes checked right away. Okay? Okay. Okay. All right, so before I let you guys go, um, as usual, don't forget to check out a fireside chat hosted by Ryan McCormick. Um, you know, also uh, check out 4AM Knows All My Secrets with uh, Ryan McCormick, Tiffany Moore. Check out uh, the McSauce podcast with Ian, Paul, and Matt. Check out Case in Point with uh, Justin and Jody. And, uh, you know, of course... Be, uh, be nice to each other, and uh, don't make me contact Mr. T, because he'll be pitying fools left and right. And, uh, you know, as usual, be good, and cue the fucking bear music. <laughs>